Christmas is upon us, isn't it? Happy Advent, everybody. We are celebrating uh, the coming of Jesus, um, which is a powerful, powerful event that changed the world. Do you agree? And we're in a series right now called Advent Conspiracy, and the reason we're titling it that is, I think, in our culture, I love everything about the Christmas season. I mean, we got our tree this week, we set up our house, made all the deck. Talk just for a few minutes about what I'm titling the empathy of Christ. The empathy of Christ. Um, Did you know that our portion in the grace of God is to carry his nature, his essence? How many of you know that you're supposed to be like Jesus? Because you carry him. I mean, it's, it's really a profound thought that we... We carry God on the inside of our very being. So, and it's meant not just to stay hidden in there, that, that lamp under a bushel type of thought, right? It's supposed to shine. It's supposed to come out of us. It's there in every single one of you in this room that named Jesus as Lord. And, and so you get the privilege of sharing with the world his empathy that he has for other people. And I'm telling you, when I was studying this, I, 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 it impacted me in a big, massive way. I thought, oh, Lord, I want to carry the empathy of God in my heart for other people. Especially when we're living in a world right now where I think, I think there's a famine related to empathy. And so we're going to look at that. You know, last, last week, Jeremiah um, he opened up with John chapter 9. He read that. And it's, it's actually, it's crazy because I was, I didn't even know what he was going to be teaching on. I was processing. We actually had a small group leader meeting at Jimmy Moss's house. And, and he actually shared out of John chapter 9 that night. I'm like, God, what is going on here? Because I was processing on our way home from Thanksgiving this message that the Lord had put in my heart. And it was actually out of John chapter 9 as well. So we're going to read that again just go at it from a little bit different angle, but, you know, Jesus was walking, and, and it says that he sees this man, and I think it's very important um, that the man wasn't just blind, he was blind from birth. So it's, it's something that had, had afflicted him from the time that he actually came into the earth as a, as a young boy, as a child. And the disciples, when they see this, they ask Jesus, and I'm going to come back to this very question, because there's something very powerful that, and revealing about humanity that's separated from empathy on why they even ask this question. But they say, Rabbi, was this, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sin or his parents' sin? And then Jesus brings beautiful kingdom context in the Father's heart to this. And he says, this happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Now, obviously, we believe that that could be the manifestation of healing. But I'll say this as well. like it, it, it's, it's so that the manifestation of empathy for this man could be seen. You see, listen, 
please don't hear what I'm not saying here, but what I'm trying to communicate to you is I love seeing things happen, see miracles happen. But I want to ask you a question. Are we more about the miracle or are we more about the person? Having empathy for where that person is that drives us, if you will, in a healthy way to pray for them, to believe for, the, for the, what Christ paid for on the cross to actually be expressed in them, i.e. healing. But, but we can never get into the ministry game of just wanting to see some result, i.e. a salvation or healing or this or that, and not miss the very heart and essence of the power of God, which is Christ-likeness on the inside of us being manifest in a moment towards a person. He says in verse 4, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned by the one who sent us. And the tasks are going to take on real authority when they're, when they're moved and motivated by empathy. So the night is coming and then no one can work, but while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Now we know that we're the light of the world as well because Jesus said it. I'm the light of the world, but you're the light of the world. I instituted this thing, you'll finish it. By me being on the inside of you and you being empowered by the Spirit of God. Now, here's what I want to just point out, and this is what I I just want to give, because I was thinking about what's the enemy of empathy? Because we got to know our enemy, and we we got to see our enemy just just pulled right down to the ground. What is the enemy of empathy in the earth? And I believe that it's this class, or you could say caste distinction that we have in our mindsets. Now, that could be on a whole other side, it could be having to do with socioeconomic status that we think that, oh, if you have more money, then you're, you're more valuable or you're better than someone else. Maybe if you're of a certain ethnicity, the same type of thought. Maybe if you're of a certain gender, it could be that as well. But here, the context is we're dealing with empathy. It may have to do with like our thoughts or our perceptions with, with what someone is walking through or dealing with. And our judgment of that versus our empathy for it and for them. Because like the disciples, we want a quick and easy answer on why this complex thing went down in this man's life. And we want the answer so that we can just move on with our life. Oh, it was his fault. Or it's his parents' fault. Well, then, that, you know, I don't have any bother with this then because it was his fault or his parents' fault, so I'm just going to move right on. And Jesus said it wasn't either of their faults. Actually, these issues that are very complex, that, that aren't simple answers, through a little empathy... power of God may begin to move in the world. Otherwise, what are we doing? Is this just a show on Sunday morning, or are we just playing church as Christians, or, or, you know, is that what Christ came into the world to do? Is that why he came? He came 
to reveal the heart of the Father. And the heart of the Father was, was deeply moved for other people and what they were facing in life. Is this on? Has anybody heard of uh, Margaret Brown? Margaret Brown. Anybody seen the movie Titanic? Some of you weren't born when the Titanic movie came out. Titanic, crazy. There was some, there was some identification with that movie, I think, because of the, just the novelty of that ship, and it was a real true story. There was some embellishment in the, in the movie. But did you know it was the first movie to gross over a billion dollars? $1.84 billion that movie grossed. They spent $200 million at the time they made the movie, which was the highest budget in movie history up to that point. It won 14 Academy Awards, and, you know, it was, it was really an amazing film. It's still being played over and over again today. But there was this, this small character um, in the movie that was introduced that was actually a true part of the story and her name was Margaret Brown, but she, but she actually went by the name Molly Brown. And, the, and, and her, her nickname was Unsinkable Molly Brown. I think I have a picture of her. I'm not sure if I do. There she is. Look at Molly Brown. But she was the daughter of Irish immigrants. Um, her parents moved to Colorado to work in the mines. And um, she married this guy by the name of James Joseph Brown. And... I, I found this quote uh, from Molly about her husband. She says, I wanted to marry a rich man, but I loved Jim Brown. I thought about, <laughs> come on, ladies. I thought about how I wanted to comfort my father and how determined I was to stay single until a man presented himself who could give the tired old man the things that he longed for. Jim was as poor as we, we were, and I had no better chance in, and had no better chance in life. And she said, I struggled hard within myself in those days to actually give myself to him. But I loved him, she says. He was poor, but I loved him. And she said, I, w- I finally decided that I was better off with a poor man that I loved than a wealthy, wealthy man whose money I loved. So I married Jim Brown. Now, the crazy irony of this story is these two um, individuals who were poor, didn't really have anything to give, um, they struck it big. He was an engineer. He gave his mind to the mining space, and, and JJ's mining company, uh, mining, mining engineering efforts that he gave, just, you know, led to this discovery, this massive ore stream, and he was awarded 12,500 shares, and basically, he equaled the status of a hundred, 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 hundreds of millions of dollars back in those days through these efforts. So these poor people instantly became rich, and what was interesting, in the midst of their success, Margaret, or Molly, worked in the soup kitchens, assisting the miners' families during this time. Now, that's all prefacing to this moment on the Titanic. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, you need to go watch it, but basically it really shows the cast of the class system coming forth, especially when they're in crisis, because they actually lock people that are, that are down in the, the third class uh, lodging and stuff to not even be able to come up when the ship is sinking so they can get all the rich people into the lifeboats 
And they didn't want too many rich people in the lifeboat because they wanted them to be comfortable so they weren't filling them to capacity. And basically so many people were left on the ship when the ship was going down. So Molly Brown, it's, it's, it's incredible. In the movie it shows it, but in, in history it's proven out well. She, with great passion and conviction, had lifeboat number six turn around and go back into the debris field of the Titanic to rescue more people out of the cold waters. Why? Because she had empathy in her heart. She didn't see those people in those waters as subhuman that didn't need rescuing in their moment, in their affliction. Now, empathy, I just want to point this out, because I was like, wow, this, this definition is just powerful. Empathy comes from the Greek word empathia, which literally translated means passion from emotional feelings. If we think about the passion of Christ... For the joy that was what? Set before him, he did what? He endured the cross. There wasn't a more passionate man that has ever lived on this planet than Jesus. And he was moved with emotional feelings for one thing. People. And it was a movement from the Father's heart out of this thing called empathy. Now check this out. This is really crazy. But empathy is this. It's the action. Listen, an action. Everybody say action. Ooh, dangerous word. It's not the prayer alone. It's, 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 it's not the, hey, maybe someday. It's No, it's the action of understanding. This is, listen to me. Being aware of. Being sensitive to. Listen to this. And vicariously experiencing the feelings, thoughts, and experience of another. Now listen, without the feelings, thoughts, and experiences of others being communicated in an objectively explicit manner to you. Whoa, think about that for a minute. It's one thing to feel empathy. When someone sits and, they, and you give them the space and you, you know, you're inquisitive to hear their story, and then maybe after hearing their story, you might be moved with empathy. But this is different. Okay, hold on. Let's think about the ramifications of this. So we're walking down the street or we're in a grocery store. We come into a church like this on Sunday morning. And we see someone, and we feel something on the inside of us by the Holy Spirit. And instead of engaging and saying, hey, who are you? Tell me your story. We just walk on by. This is insane to think about, but God in us gives us the capacity without having to have a conversation. This, come on, I want you to dream with me a little bit here. This is taking it to the next level. 
Without, I'm not saying we shouldn't have conversations. I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't take people out to coffee and have them over to our house or in a moment, like hear their, their story. But what would it look like if the entire body of Christ was able to be so tuned in to the Father heart of God that you walk by a person and you can see or feel that emotion or whatever's going on the inside of them and you just say, wait a minute, I can't go any further from here right now until I hear what's going on in the inside of you. I was sitting with Jason Upton out in this parking lot. And man, it was a busy day. And I was, we were moving. We were trying to get a lot of stuff done. I was wanting to jump out of the car. And he, and he started to speak. And it was like the God himself was speaking right to me. And he said, you know, one time, because I was wanting to get out of the car. And he could sense my an- anxiousness, you know, just wanting to kind of move on. And he goes, hey, Darren, one time I was driving with a young guy that was coming around with me in ministry, and and we got in this conversation with the taxi driver, and God was really moving in it. And this young man, when we came to our stopping point, he wanted to jump right out of the car and just kind of get on with what we were doing. And he said, I looked looked at him, and I said, no, 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 you just keep that door locked because we're going to sit in here for a little while. Because God wants us to demonstrate empathy and be present to this guy in in this moment. Because they were feeling something from the Lord for this person. This is what I'm talking about. So back to John chapter 9, when Jesus, you know, was seeing this, this man. The disciples just wanted this quick answer. But the reality was, is that, 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 that Christ carried a whole different perspective in his heart. Because if you, I want to give you some theology here quickly, and then we're going to conclude our time together today with a very powerful moment that's actually happening with one of our friends here in this body. But you've got to understand that, that God, according to Jeremiah, who's just one of the most powerful prophets that ever lived and existed, he had understanding in, in chapter 29, verse 11, of the good plans that God has for everybody that's been created on the earth. Now think about that in light of this guy, this young man, who was born blind from birth. How do you reconcile Jeremiah 29, 11 and good plans with someone who's been born blind from birth. I don't even know if we know how to deal with that. So we just want a token answer. Well, it was his fault or his parents' fault, so we can just walk right on by that one instead of really have to sit with it for a moment. What do you do in the tension and dichotomy of the goodness of God and people all around us in society that are walking through very difficult moments? Well, the mystery is, according to Jeremiah, back in chapter 1, verse 5, before he formed us in our mother's womb, he knew us. And he actually set us apart for good things and appointed us to to do stuff in life. But there's complexity in the chaos of this world. There's there's brokenness. There's there's confusion, right? And, And we come being born into that reality. And so we see that even in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, where the earth was formless and void. And if you look at the language there, it talks about confusion and chaos and and darkness covered the face of the earth. But the Holy Spirit, oh, I love this imagery, hovered over 
that darkness because Holy Spirit is filled with hope and possibility and comfort. But look, this father that dwells in this realm of beauty and hope and affection and, and good plans and all that kind of stuff, and, he, and, he, and he's in a, in a realm where there is no darkness, there is no brokenness, there is no sickness, there is no disease. He wanted to engage it, the darkness. So he spoke light, the Son of God, into it. Out of his passion, his feelings, his emotion. That's what I love about the God we serve. He's not disconnected from the realities of humanity. He's not some absent father that doesn't know what's really going on in our hearts and in our lives. He's not some dad that's just going to give some cut and dry answer so that we can just go on with our little lives. He's going to bring tension to where we have to really go there in our hearts with what we're walking through, right? Because we can ignore our own issues or with what other people are going through. When empathy came into our darkness, there is hope for the light to break into our captivity. Jeremiah says, I love it, it's all right here. Chapter 29, verse 12, he says, in those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, Jesus, I just want to sit at your feet. You will find me. And I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will end your captivity, and I will restore your fortunes. And I will gather you out from the nations, this culture of this world, and, and, and I will bring you home again. John chapter 1, verse 4, this word who existed in the beginning with God and created everything through him, nothing that was created except him through him. It says this word, this one Jesus gave life, oh my gosh, please hear me, to everything that was created. This light that shines in the darkness, the darkness can never extinguish it. Never. You know where I'm at right now? I'm like, I'm going to press in for full and total breakthrough in every situation, period, because I know that's the ultimate heart of God. Whether I see it on 100 out of 100 times or not, what I want to do is have full empathy in the moment. Full empathy in the moment. We must quickly carry out the tasks by the one who has sent us. As we end today, um, I want to introduce you to a friend, actually a couple of friends and their family.
I knew this young man at the time, whose name is Alan Walker, in Birmingham, Alabama, when Wendy and I were there living and doing ministry. He was a college student at Samford University from Atlanta, Georgia. And we got connected actually through Mark Witten, who was his roommate. Mark was a young man that was coming to our young adult and college ministry that Wendy and I were overseeing at the time. And through that connection, there was a friendship that was established. Alan had a heart for the nations. Um, He was actually considering moving to the Ukraine and working with uh, an orphan care ministry over there. And the long and short of it is, he bypassed that decision, potentially even going to the Philippines, and decided to move down here with a small little band of us that came down to plant this church. So we're talking 16 years ago. And during that time, he met and fell in love with Eva, his beautiful wife. Uh, They met online, as many people are meeting nowadays, right? Online love. Come on, somebody. And they got married shortly after and, and, and came and gave themselves to this ministry and to this work. And they served in a variety of capacities. And most recently, in the years that we've just um, been in, they've given themselves to children's ministry. And they've been a huge blessing to this community, massive. Um, they've been a family that have lived the miraculous, and have, and have demonstrated empathy for others in a big way. Starting in 2008 when they adopted their first daughter, Aaliyah, when she came into their lives. And, and from that moment, over the next nine years, they saw over 40 foster care children come through their home and experience the love of God. Amazing. Come on, give it up for Jesus in that They also had four other adoptive miracles since that time. So five adopted children. Incredible. Because, see, they were told by the doctors that Eva was never going to be able to have children. And they were fine with that, but they wanted to still have kids, and so they gave their love and their hearts to these ones that didn't have a family. And then, four years ago, I'm sorry, not four years ago. It was how long ago now? Seven um, is that right? No, not the baby. The do- uh, seven. Uh, they gave birth. <laughs> now, anyhow, the point is, they've had two kids of their own now. A daughter and a son. <laughs> And I remember, it was crazy when we got the first miracle. I was like, this is insane. And then, boom, number two comes. I'm like, oh, my gosh, here we go. It's heating up at the Walker home, you know. Seven kids now. Amazing. And so they've been a family of miracles and a family of empathy. And right now, they're in a moment where they're believing God to do the impossible again. And it's a vulnerable moment, right? It's a vulnerable moment when you come and you say, hey, church family, here's what's happening in our world. We're sharing it with you. How powerful would it be if we could just even recognize and empathize? 
beforehand to prepare us for a moment like this. But seven years ago, Alan was diagnosed with a benign focal amethropy, which is a rare degenerative motor neuron disease that has impacted his upper body function. There's no cure for this disease. Um, There's not much that you can do to aid in the disease, but with no diagnosis at the moment when they, got di- when they found this out, they, they didn't want to sit idle. So they began holistic homeopathic medicine. They, they tried adjusting their diet. They, they, they did everything they could to, to, to relieve and ease the symptoms of this disorder. And I can say during this whole time, like, Alan never wavered a moment in his commitment to what he was doing here at the church. It was incredible, awe-inspiring, really, to see Eva as well. But recently, I want to have Eva come up here for just a minute. A crazy door has opened up uh, for their family that I want just Eva to give us some insight into. And then we're going to just close with prayer over them. So, Hi, I'm Eva. Um, I, yeah, Whew, it's a big moment. Um, this has been, like Darren said, a seven-year journey. And um a lot of you have joined us in this journey. Um, it's not something that we've ever shared from the stage publicly before, so this is like our moment that we're doing it. Um, here we are, but a lot of you, like our friends and family, and a lot of you here, we have had a prayer team praying, um, and the Lord has kept us strong the whole time. Um, like Darren said, we've been doing all kinds of alternative treatments, and um, when, about uh, two, uh, whenever I was pregnant with Luca, the baby, um, some information started coming forward about stem cell therapy. And so we started researching it. We banked Luca's cord blood. and um, But there wasn't anything like exactly at that time open for us for stem cell therapy with neurological um, diseases. So we started researching and researching. And um, we were looking at uh, treatments all over, honestly, all over the world. Um, there was one in California um, that we were really looking into I mean, Boston, Michigan, um, even parts of Europe, even Israel, they're doing amazing things with um, neurology over there. Um, And I don't even know if our kids know all of this, but like there was times where we were planning, maybe Alan and I might need to be gone for months at a time um, to go out to California. And for some reason, we didn't feel 100% with that. So then, um, really just within the last month, um, we came across a new clinical trial and um, we were looking into it, and then we see the location, and it's in Coconut Creek, Florida, which is where we live. We live in Coconut Creek. Um, it's literally like a couple of miles from our house. Um, we were planning to, like, let's go to Israel. Let's, you know, move our whole life to California. And this door opened in Coconut Creek, and Alan was, um, we applied, and he was accepted into the program within a week. Um, I know. It's great. I mean, the fact, the fact that it's right here in Coconut Creek is, like, mind-blowing to me. Um, as you can see, we have a lot to take care of here. Um, and so we don't have to uproot our family. We don't have to disturb our kids and schedules and life. And um, so the program, the treatment will be on January 21st, really soon right here in Coconut Creek. Um, He'll have a procedure done. um, Well, they'll take the stem cells actually out of his own body and then um, implant them back in. And, I mean, the things that they're seeing are incredible. There's a lot of hope for, um, I mean, 
the stem cells can regenerate, you know, brain cells and um, even create new cells. It's, I don't even understand all of the technology of it, but it's incredible. Um, so we are doing that. Um, so we just want to thank you guys for partnering with us. This has been a really big journey, um, and it's been a lot for our family. Our kids have been amazing um, through all of this, and we're just so thankful to have a community like this that supports us. And um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, amen. Just stay here. Wendy, come on up for just a minute. Um, as we close and we pray over Eva and Alan sitting over here, we're going to just include him in this prayer. Um, but the miracle of this is that it's, it's, this trial has been brought here to our region, which has just came out of nowhere. And the other would have been a really difficult thing emotionally, financially. Can you imagine like having to spend months away from where you're from and seven kids? And so now it's here. And they, they not, only, not only is it here, but they got accepted, which is a miracle in itself. Because there's people now coming from all over the world to Coconut Creek to go through this trial. And it, it, it gives hope, right? It gives hope. And, and God can intersect medicine. My wife is a, a doctor in physical therapy. And so God takes medicine. He intersects his miraculous through that. Um, but what we need to pray for, and, and this is a, why it's such a vulnerable moment, is we feel like we needed to include our body in this so that there could be prayer towards these ends and, and that you could say, hey, I'm going to join my prayers with the Walker family in this Advent season, and I'm going to feel the emotion of this moment and I'm going to empathetically say, I'm with you. And so we ask for that as Wendy prays and as we continue to pray for them. But there's a fraction of the cost of this uh, treatment that they have to come up with those resources. And it's a short amount of time. I think it's $20,000. They're doing a GoFundMe um, through a, a, a health care program that, that the, all the money will go directly into this. And so we're going to be sending out that information um, via social media. And you'll be able to just click on that link and, and contribute to that if, if you would be, like to do that, like to stand with this family. That would be beautiful. So we're going to put that out. So if you're not following the walkers or you're not following Harbor Church um, on Facebook or Instagram, please do that today. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Harbor Church, okay? Um, but Wendy, would you just pray for this? Um, thank you, Eva. Thank you, Alan, for allowing us this privilege uh, to just be with you. You know, so you're not alone. We're with you in this journey. Did you have something else you want to say? Um, I just wanted to say one more thing. Um, believe with us for a miracle. Like, we, I, they told me my womb could not create babies, and it created two babies, you know? Like, whole, if God can create two whole persons with all of their perfect little parts, he can he can fix Alan's body, you know? He, so just like, like we're, we're, we're like a hundred, like we have hope in the stem cell therapy, but like, just pray for a miracle, like 100% miracle. So yeah. So let's just join together and just I'll stretch your, your hands to the, to the Walker family. Yeah. I'm going to walk down. Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just thank you so much for the for the Walker family. Lord, just 
what they mean to our body, Lord. We just thank you uh, for them giving of their time and their talents, God, um, in the midst of um, the unknown, in the midst of uh, a diagnosis that they didn't understand, Father God. And Lord, the other day I just talked about water walkers, people that can do the miraculous. Lord, and I thank you that their name is Walker. (laughs) And Lord, that you've called them to walk in incredible places. And so, Lord, I thank you as we stand as a community and we we surround the Walker family. Lord, that you're going to do a miracle, Father God, in and through their lives, Jesus. Lord, and when I prayed, we prayed for conception. God, you did it. (laughs) You did it after 10 years of, of prayer and petitions. And so, Lord, we pray and we petition this morning for Alan Walker that you would heal this neurological disease, Father God, that all the neurons in his body and all the cells, Father God, that they do what you've designed them to do, God. We pray for a creative miracle right now, Lord Jesus. Thank you from the top of his beautiful head to the very cell on the bottom of his toes, God. We, we say yes, God. We say yes, God. Everything that is in heaven, it shall be done on this earth, God. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for miracles. We thank you for medicine. We thank you for divine peace and appointments, God. We even thank you, Jesus, for this, this, this program that was located in Coconut Creek. Lord, I believe you just did it for such a time as this, God. And, and Lord, could you love Alan and you love the favor over his life that you would do that for him. God, I thank you for the doorway that you're going you're gonna to have open wide for him to walk through and receive, Lord, his miracle, God, for the walkers to receive their miracles. Jesus, we thank you, God, for this morning. We thank you for, for, for not just pennies from heaven, but dollars from heaven, Father God, that there will not be one need for this family that they need. Lord, I even know that they need a bigger, bigger van. Father God, that holds their whole family. So, Lord, we're believing you for the more because we got that word this morning. We got that word during intercession that this is the more. This is the more season. So, God, we just say that. We say that this morning. We thank you for peace that surpasses all understanding over each of their seven beautiful kids. Lord, we thank you for Tiki, Alan's mother that has given of her time and that has laid down her life, Lord, to be with her son and has poured out. Lord, would you just fill Tiki up this morning? Would you fill her up, God, and her husband, um, as they've been apart from each other, as Tiki's been given her time to the family. Lord, bless them, God. Bless them. And Lord, we love you. As a, as a harbor church, we stand right now and we, as a hedge of protection around the Walker family. And we just we bless their beautiful life in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's thank the Lord for what he's doing this morning. It's amazing. Lord. As we as we leave here, thank you for the little extra time this morning. As we leave here, please do me a favor. Um, honor and respect their space as well. Please don't write and say, hey, if you do this or this or, you know, they trust me, we've looked at every and all options here and they've journeyed this journey out and we appreciate the heart and the care and insights and all those kind of things but obviously those can be at times painful in these kind of moments so we just want to honor we want to pray for them but hey as the ministry team comes forward listen we know there's other situations going on in this room and we want to be sensitive to those 
um, and we believe for breakthrough as we move into 2020. Amen. So if you're here today and you're just needing a little touch of that empathy and love of God for whatever you're walking through, nothing too big, nothing too small, come and hang out with us as the band leads us. Stand with me. Let's pray as we go. Lord, thank you for your nature, for your character, for your heart. Thank you that it's passionate and it's active, that it responds to the needs of humanity, to the pains of humanity. And we ask that, God, that would be a culture over our house and over our hearts because it's your culture. We love you today, Lord, and we worship you. Amen. We're going to be praying as long as you guys need prayer here at the front. God bless you.